Welcome, welcome. Glad that you are here with us. I trust you've been encouraged for already having been a part of our service. And thank you to all of you who are joining with us online. We are glad to have you as well. We are in the midst of a series called Undercover Boss. Undercover Boss. Just renewed for an 11th season. So if you're a fan of the show, it's coming back. All right? If you've never seen the show, quickly let me just tell you that what happens is the CEO, the owner of a company, disguises himself and he kind of goes undercover into the company. He's usually in the big office with the glass windows up high, but he goes down into the shop, into the factory, into the behind the scenes, into the packaging, the distribution, and he sees what's happening in the, com in the company. And, and here's one of the things that we talked about last week. The fact that the reason he does this is because he knows that whatever's happening in the guts of his company, Whatever's happening on the inside, eventually, is going to work its way outside. And so he sets up a, a big disguise, and, and then, of course, there's the big reveal at the end of the show, and the boss comes out and says, hey, I'm the CEO, and everyone, of course, is surprised. Some of them, a good surprise. Every once in a while, it's kind of like, oh, no, I can't believe I acted that way in front of the boss. Well, the question that I have for you today is, who's your boss. Who's your boss? Some of you that are old enough are going, hey, we could have named the series that. Who's the boss? And had Tony Danza speak. Anyways, um, who is your boss? What we found out is that sometimes the boss of us on the outside can be what's happening on the inside. And if we let our emotions, which is an important part of us, okay? And you know what? Let me get sidetracked for just a minute. My wife says, uh-oh, there goes a bunny. Uh, just, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief, but please understand that I am not suggesting that we become emotionless robots. Part of what we just experienced was emotion, okay? In every relationship, there's emotion. And what does God desire from us? Religion? No, that's just rigid, right? He desires a relationship. So please, please don't somehow come to an understanding that, you know, okay, well, I can't let my emotions, so therefore I'll just be emotionless. No, 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 no. That's not what God is looking for. But what he is looking for is for us to control our emotions rather than letting our emotions control us. And when the emotions control us, then guess what? You, you've got an undercover boss. And, and so that's what we're talking about. Last week, Jesus, talking to the Pharisees, first of all, then he kind of called together a group of people. And then a few minutes later down the road, his disciples came to him and said, okay, you got to explain us, this to us further. You know, you, you might have offended the Pharisees. I think you ticked them off a little bit with what you said. And Jesus was like, and I'm okay with that. Stay away with it from them because he said it's like the blind leading the blind. You're both going to fall into a pit. And he said the message I gave to them is the same one that I give to you. Whatever you are, are on the inside, eventually it's going to come out. Whoever's the boss on the inside, eventually that's going to be what is shown and shared on the outside. So make sure that you are in control of your emotions 
so that your motion, emotions are not in control of you. Because if that's the case, you got the wrong boss. Whatever is happening on the inside is going to eventually come out on the outside of our lives. On the, in, on the outside, the Pharisees looked like they had it all going on, right? I mean, they were always the best dressed. They always had, you know, the, the, everybody knew who they were just by what they wore and how they looked. But Jesus said on the inside, you, you guys are a mess. You guys, in fact, he called them back in that day some dirty no-no names on the inside because he wanted to make sure they got the point. You guys are a mess on the inside and it's going to affect the outside no matter how good the robes and the hats and all that kind of thing look. So we want to control what's on the inside so that it doesn't come out. I had a, a unique illustration of that happen to me uh, this past week. Um, we have a toilet upstairs, and, and uh, this, this has been kind of a perpetual problem that you can, you know, you ever, you ever have one of those toilets where it kind of runs a little bit if you jiggle the handle, right? You just jiggle the handle and it's good, right? So we've been jiggling the handle on this thing for, I don't know, about 17 years. And um, just, but jiggle the handle, it'll, it'll work. And, and sometimes I've adjusted something. Sometimes I've, you know, maybe changed a seal or something. And it's like, it's good for a while. But lately it just, it, it, it was leaking. Stuff was leaking on the inside, okay? And when enough water leaked on the inside and the water level dropped on the tank, that's when it would run, Okay. Problem is, the toilet that's upstairs running that you could barely hear up there if you're downstairs watching TV, oh my gosh, it's like it's in a cave reverberating. And now it was happening like every 45 seconds to a minute. And I'm like, okay, we got to get this fixed. So being the master plumber that I am, I went to the hardware store and I bought all of the things that I needed. In fact, I basically just replaced all that stuff on the top there. I'm like, okay, I need this, I need this. Actually, while I was taking that little black balloon thing off, it broke, so I needed one of those immediately. Uh, but took it to the hardware store, and I'm like, I, you know, here's what I need. Oh, yeah, boom, boom, boom. And I pick a couple things out. Okay, I'll take this, I'll take that. Take it home. Put it on. Doesn't work. I got the wrong stuff. Back to the hardware store. Take all the stuff back. Give it back to them. I need other stuff. They finally go there like, yeah, you, you, this, this is what you need. They give me the stuff. But by now, I can't take care of it. So I, I go on with the rest of my day. In fact, it was Wednesday. Came here, had a class, you know, had a good time. Hadn't eaten, went home, ate some food, watched a little of the tigers. And then it's like, oh, you know what? I still need to fix that toilet. No problem. It's going to take me, what, 10, 15 minutes? Problem is, it's about 10.30 right now, you know, 10.30, quarter to 11. So I'm like, I can do this. So I go upstairs. Then I'm taking stuff. Well, first of all, I turn the water off. Okay, there's a little valve down, in case you don't know. There's a valve down at the bottom of the toilet. You turn that off. And then, oh, and by the way, I had gone and changed clothes, too. Because, of course, if, you know, you're a plumber, you're supposed to wear shorts. And Anyway, I, sorry, I digress. But I... I, I, I I, I did that valve. I did the valve thing, Tom. You'd be proud of me. I turned that valve off, turned the water off, okay? And then I replaced all the stuff. And I'm thinking, all right, looks good. So I go down and I turn the water back on. And I'm like, excellent, excellent. And I'm looking in there and I'm like, you know what? I think this thing, probably you need to tighten this just a little bit more. I tighten it and I'm leaning over. Have you ever done this? I'm leaning over the toilet. I tighten that thing a little, pop. It just popped. That little blue thing, right off, okay? It came streaming, and water comes streaming up, hits me in the head, 
Okay? So I am now a soaking mess. But as soon as I back away, the water hits, I kid you not, hits the ceiling. Okay? It is hitting the ceiling. It is going. So I'm like, this is what it must be like to be in Yellowstone Park with Old Faithful. I mean, it's just up. But I'm like, this is a toilet. I'm in trouble. So I go down. I turn the water off. I'm like, ah, got to hurry. Okay, okay, okay. Try it again. Get it all set up. Working, working. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to leave it alone. Flush the toilet. Goes down. Comes up. Mm, okay, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Pop. Same thing. Water up. Hits the ceiling. I go down. I turn the valve to turn the water off. Problem is now the valve turns off, but the water doesn't stop. Okay? Now we have two problems here. Number one, I have a geyser that is hitting the ceiling of water from a toilet. Number two, it's 11 o'clock at night, and we don't want to bring the missus into this problem, okay? <laughs> we are trying to deal with this situation, even though I am a sopping wet mess. My slippers are complete slippers. Now I'm a good plumber, aren't I? My slippers are wet. There's about a half inch of water on the floor, and I'm like, okay, we're in trouble. I go down, turn the water completely off in the basement, okay? as stealthily as I possibly can. I come back up with about 18 towels. I'm dropping them on the floor as I go. I go over, I'm like, what in the world is going on? And, and I turn, you know, the water, I, I get everything, put it back in. I'm like, come on now, this is stupid. I tighten that little ball thing, you know? It, you could tighten it or loosen it. I'm like, oh, that must be the problem. Tighten it up a little bit, you know? I'm like, okay, we're good. I go down. Now, by now, the missus, unfortunately, has been like, why is there no water? <laughs> Funny you should ask. Um, but I go down, turn the water back on, come back up. It's now coming out into the toilet. I'm like, this is good, this is good. But it's filling a little slowly. So I'm like, come on, we can do better than that. So I turn the water up a little at the bottom. Bad mistake. Pop again. I'm like, this is nuts. It's like 1130. You know, is there a 24-hour plumber? Probably, but he's like $800 an hour. I'm not going to call go down, turn the water, finally I get it stopped. I am an absolute wet mess. There's water all over the floor. You go down into the family room and now there's a little bit of water coming down from the ceiling. <laughs> and I'm like, this has been a good day. And uh, so the next morning, I tried to fix it again to no avail. My wife's like, any chance you wanna call a plumber? Yes, yes I do. And I called the plumber and the plumber comes out and he fixes stuff, goes in, and he's like, oh, here's your problem. And he takes out this little seal, and he says, this little crack right here, water just getting in, a little bit of water, a little bit of water, a little bit of water, caused all of that problem. Did I get it fixed? Yeah, but what a mess. What a mess. I mean, I had to do two loads of towels myself, you know, and, and there's water all over, and I had to take the light fixture off because it was dripping through the ceiling. It was just, oh my gosh, I'm drying the ceiling, you know. What a mess. It was a little bit expensive, too, because I had to call a plumber. What would have happened if I'd have just taken care of the leak when it started? Or even if I'd have called the plumber way back at the beginning and just said, hey, can you come and take a look at this? Because there's water that's leaking in. And at some point, little did I know how fast and furious it would come roaring out. What we want to talk about today is that kind of an emotion. And for most of us, we would say, not a problem. But for at least a few of us, if we were to look at our lives, we might have to admit there are times when it becomes the boss. 
And what we want to talk about today is anger. Anger. What is your relationship with anger? And is it possible that there are times when it becomes the boss of your life? And maybe, maybe even it's affected you, it's affected you, it's nicked at you, it's leaked a little bit here and there, and then there's just been this explosion. And you fixed it. But you had to go back and get a bunch of towels and eventually call a plumber. What a mess. And it all could have been avoided, right? What does God's word say about anger? Because here's what we know. If we don't control our anger, our anger can and will control us. So how do we get a handle on that? And how do we make sure that we are doing what we can to not let that be the boss of us? I want you to turn with me to the book of James. So if you've got a Bible, go to James. And as you go to James, let me just mention one thing to you. And the undercover boss, the boss disguises himself, right? He's not going to go into the shop wearing a three-piece suit. He puts on a pretty good disguise, makeup, hair, the whole bit. He is disguising himself even though he's the CEO, well, sometimes the boss of us, called anger, will disguise itself as a much more Christianese word. Ready for it? I'm just frustrated. I'm just frustrated. Frustration is actually, if we're honest about it, anger. I'm just frustrated at. I'm just frustrated with. But if we're telling the truth, we're, we're angry. Did, did you know that road rage incidents last year, in 2020, in a year in which Americans drove less than they had in decades, it's the first year where driving has gone down, last year incidents of road rage doubled from what they had in the years past. Why? Because people were just angry. Angry. Sometimes not even knowing who they were angry at, but they were angry and they were going to take it out on a driver. And here's the problem. There are, there's an incident every day. In fact, oftentimes two of them a day, there are incidents that will result in the in serious enough injury that they have to be hospitalized or the death of people because of road rage. Now, who goes pulling out of their garage saying, boy, I cannot wait to find the guy that I get to run off the road today? Nobody. Nobody leaves the house thinking to themselves, I cannot wait to find the guy that didn't go to my driving school so that I can flip him off and try to veer him into the next lane. And if we were honest, we would say nearly all of us have probably been the victim of road rage. It doesn't have to be somebody that pulls you off the road. It can just be somebody that actually is endeavoring to intimidate other drivers or pedestrians by their maneuvers, by their gestures, <laughs> by their verbal abuse, and sometimes with the use of a vehicle or even a weapon. What happened? How did it get that 
bad. Is it possible there was just some water that kept leaking into the tank? And that incident is what made it explode. How can we, how can we effectively keep our anger in check? I, before we get to James, I got to tell you this story. In fact, I read it the other day. I'll just read it for you. Somebody that uh, posted, I was just at McDonald's and this lady behind me honked at me and flipped me off because I was taking so long to order. Let's stop right there for a moment. Some of you need to repent, okay, because that's you. Like, we're at McDonald's. Why is it taking you so long, you know? <clears throat> so this lady was upset because the guy was taking a long time, so she honked at him and flipped him off. So he says, when I got to the first window, I paid for her food. When I got to the second window to get my food, I showed them both receipts and took her food too. <laughs> After for it. Now listen, listen, please, please don't let that be the only thing you grab from this message, okay? I could see somebody going, I'm going to do that. Idea. <clears throat> listen, anger's been around for a long time, okay? Can I tell you something since the beginning, okay? World population, four. And what happened? Somebody got angry. A guy by the name of Cain, and his anger went ballistic. And he kills his younger brother. So anger has been around since the beginning. But so has the way to deal with anger. And, and you have three choices, okay? You can either react to anger, which is usually the bad way. That's usually the road way, wage. Road rage way. All right? When, when you react to anger. Here's the other thing you do. This isn't good either. You can repress. I'm just going to shove it down and shove it down and shove it down. Can I tell you something? I didn't tell you this part of the story, but actually when I couldn't get the water off at the bottom, I was trying to just shove that cap onto the thing to get it to stop, which actually just made the water come on me even more. It was worse. But sometimes we can try to repress that anger. But what if, what if there's a way to recognize it and control it. So go to James chapter 3, verse 13. Remember that James is the half brother of Jesus, okay? He is the half brother of Jesus. He, he had the same mom. So you can imagine growing up in his household. You can imagine how difficult it is. If you're a younger sibling, you know how hard it is to have older siblings, you know, and mom and dad and teachers and everything talking about them. Oh, you're so and so. Can you imagine James, right? I mean, because you talk about perfection. <laughs> How come you can't be like your older brother? Because I'm not the son of God. But that wasn't James. He didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. And after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to him, and James believes. So now, in retrospect, he writes this. Listen to what he says. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor, harbor, just, just look at it the way it sounds, okay? If you harbor, if, if you pull the boat up and dock it, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it 
or deny the truth. And then verse 16, he explains what happens with that. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Listen, wise people understand the importance of keeping things in perspective. Wise people understand the importance of keeping things in perspective. How often do we get angry because we just lose our perception and our perspective on things? And especially those that follow Jesus, we're supposed to what? We're supposed to have an eternal perspective on things. But that's not the way we look at it. And, and we lose it. He says you've got to keep things in perspective. And they are always humble. Anger is the reverse of humility, isn't it? Anger is anything but humble. But if you let bitter envy, if you let selfish ambition take root and go unchecked, there's going to be a problem. And what is selfish ambition? Why, why would that be considered something that has to be controlled as anger? Selfish ambition is when you're not getting what you think you deserve. And we get angry. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven. What is that? It's godly wisdom. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving. Pure, then peace-loving. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What is he saying? Peacemakers who sow in peace. Peacemakers are people that... Peace. Paul said that we are, as much as it pertains to you, we are to live at peace with all men. But James is actually taking it one step further. James is saying you need to plant the seeds of peace. Don't just come into a situation of conflict and endeavor to be the peacemaker, but actually plant seeds of peace before you even go. And I'm, maybe this is, you know, maybe I should have had a picture of Captain Obvious up here. Because <clears throat> this may be a Captain Obvious situation, but it seems to me that Christian and peacemaker don't really go together. I mean, if you read a lot of Christian blogs and social media posts and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter accounts, you will find a group of so-called followers of Jesus who leave this verse in the dust. And so I think, I think I can easily and, and with some authority say that James would come along and say, yeah, no. No, no, you're, you're, you got it wrong. Because we, we are not, we're not, forget planting 
peace. We're not even looking to make peace. We're, we're looking to, to make trouble, make war, make things difficult. That's being a Jesus follower. And James is like, no, that was my life actually before I believed in my brother. That was me before the resurrection. Post-resurrection, I'm realizing that's not smart. That's not wise. And it's going to cause a problem because I'm just letting bitterness and selfish ambition and anger and resentment kind of creep in and build up. And at some point, it's going to explode. And, and, and I know we don't have this. I know it's reading in between the lines just a little bit. But why do I think that James is speaking from experience? Remember that the family of Jesus, of course, not, not, not his mother per se, but the family of Jesus at one point was like, yeah, we need for the men in white coats to go and get him and take him somewhere. He, he's crazy. He's lost his mind. And I have a feeling James probably led that parade. Peacemakers sow peace. So, okay, let's keep going. What's the opposite of a peacemaker? James covers that in chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? What's the opposite of a peacemaker, a fighter? Somebody who's argumentative. What causes that? Now, here's the thing. Would you not say, if you had a conversation with James, would you not say, James, here, here's the deal, buddy. We're not dealing with a what. We're dealing with a who. It's not what causes, James. It's who causes fights and quarrels among you. And it's my boss. If you knew my boss, if you knew my working conditions, if you knew what I had to go through every day, it's, it's my husband. If you knew how controlling, he, it's, it's my wife. I mean, you know, she was great for a few years, but then phew, something happened, man. And she is just so nitpicky. And it, it, it's my son. It's my, it's my 10th grade son. He thinks he knows everything. And he might. That's the scary thing. It's always somebody, right? It's always somebody. Who, James? Who? And, and listen, here's, here's the problem. And, and I think this is what James is trying to get across. If you are always blaming a who, you'll never deal with the what. If you are always blaming a who, you will never deal with the what. And the who will always be somebody else, won't it? We've, we've covered this a lot before. If you've got a problem with Tom and Harry and Debbie and Betty, right? Well, Tom's got a problem and Harry's got a problem and then Debbie's got a problem and Betty's got a problem. What is the common denominator? You, me. But, but we always want to blame the, the Whoville. Kind of feel like I'm in a Dr. Seuss novel here. It's the who 
It's the who. James says, no, no, no. It's a what. Humble people will actually pause and say, what's my part in this? I'm not going to let this get the best of me. I'm not going to let this control me. I'm not going to let this build up. And, and here's the deal. You, you all know, some of you fit into the category. Some of you know people that fit into the category. A lot of times, our anger, it either makes us mouthy, okay? Mouthy or moody, right? You, you can deal with your anger by just mouthing off, you know, spewing. Here goes the cap. Water on the ceiling. Or, or it can just affect our mood. We're just like, well, I'm not going to say anything, but you're going to know. You just got that look. Right? What's going on? As much as we hate to admit it, anger is the boss. Anger's the boss. And, and here's, here's what we need to understand. Anger. Reactive anger will put relationships in danger. Reactive anger will put relationships in danger. Because at some point, the water is going to come flying out. And it's going to be a mess. And you have to clean it up. And you're going to have to involve other people. Reactive anger puts relationships in danger. And that's why James says, what, not who, what causes? Because much of our anger and frustration comes in the form of three questions. Here it is. First one is this, why me? Why me? Why am I going through this? Why me? Second question is, why them? Why them? <clears throat> Why'd they get that? Why'd they get the promotion? Why'd he get the girl? Why do they have perfect kids? Why them? And the third question is, why God? And that's the one that we ask a lot. You know, the times when you're having like, you're having conversations on the inside of your head that you wish you could have. And sometimes those conversations are with God. Why, God? And as long as we think it's a who, we're not going to deal with the what. And James says, it's, it's, it's partly you. Okay, and, and here's, now here's the deal. Please understand this. Please understand this. We will all go through this, but some to a greater extent than other. Sometimes you're right. You're right. It's not fair. They didn't deserve it more than you. It doesn't make any sense. You are exactly right. But the problem is, if we don't stop, if we don't pause, if we don't deal with that leak right then, 
Who's it going to affect down the road? More than anyone else, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect you. And, and, and if we can if we acknowledge this thing right away, and if you can pause while the anger is still kind of simmering, and accept your part of it, that part of the problem might just be you. James says, that's, that's humility. That's wisdom. And it's the first step towards not allowing anger to be your boss. He, he gives us a little more detail, actually, in chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 19, 20. He says, my dear brothers, take note, and sisters, by the way, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. What's, what's, what's he saying? James has basically given us a little children's song. Stop, look, and listen before you cross the anger street. Stop, look, and listen. Be, be quick to listen. Be swift to listen. Be slow to speak. And be sluggish to get angry. Just, just maybe those should be reversed. Sluggish to speak and slow to get angry. So oftentimes, we just react and we react verbally, don't we? We're the first ones to speak. That's the culture that we live in, right? Talk radio, everybody has an opinion. Everybody, okay? Um, I, I have called on occasion, sports radio. Forgive me, because you say some of you might say this is lying, but I, I usually give them a fictitious name. Um, but I, I will call every, it's, it's been a very long time, but, but mostly now I just listen. And, and I enjoy it, I must admit, to a certain extent. What drives me crazy, though, is the fact that we pay some guys $7 million dollars to be the coach or the general manager or the manager of a team. And then some guy like me can actually call up and act as if I know more about that specific sport than the person that we're paying $7 million to. Now, is the person that we're paying $7 million to worth $7 million? Well, that's another argument, okay? You, you, you can argue that one. Does he know more about baseball than I do? A little bit. It's like asking if a plumber knows more about fixing a toilet than I do. I think we kind of figured that one out, okay? So, but, but we live in a culture in which everybody has an opinion, and, and, and everybody has a right to that opinion, that's fine, but, but it seemingly is whoever talks the loudest and whoever gets in the last word, that's the winner. So you'll even turn on a lot of your news channels that you watch, and there'll be, what, five or six people, right, speaking? And now, of course, in this day of social distancing, they haven't even been in the same room sometimes, so they just start talking from wherever they're at, and you got five people, and sometimes I just have to go, <clears throat> mute, or turn the channel, because it's like, you, you can't hear anything. But we are so quick to what? Speak. Quick to speak. 
And maybe that's not a problem for you. For me, that's an issue. I am quick to speak because I'm a speaker. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I'm, I've always, I've never lacked for an opinion, and I just always quick to speak. And, and Lori will be talking to me sometime, and she'll be starting something and, and begin telling me something. And before she's halfway through it, I'm, I cut her off, and I solve the problem for her. Because that's what husbands do, right? We're fixers. And then I get done, and she's like, that's not what I was going to say. And at one point, she has said to me, I don't need you to fix the problem. I just need you to listen. listen. Yeah. She's not the first to say that. A guy by the name of James, a long time ago, he said, listen. Part of communication is developing the art of listening. And if we would be quick to listen, it, it will automatically slow down speaking, right? And is it possible that when we slow down our response, that then slows down our anger? I wanted, to, I wanted to get a couple of tubes of toothpaste, and I meant to get them yesterday. I actually was in the store and, and bought a little travel thing of toothpaste. I needed to get two more. And, and if I could have gotten two more, I could have had uh, Mark and Nick come up here, and we'd had a little game. Who can get the toothpaste out of the tube the fastest? And, and, and I would have gladly given a dollar to whoever. You know, we could have cheered them on. And so just kind of imagine that, okay? And then, then... What if I had a crisp $100 bill? Oh, now you're like, I'll come back next week if you can offer that again. To the person who puts all their toothpaste back in the tube. Just get it all back in there. Never happens, right? Never happens. It's easy for us to get the toothpaste out of the tube. There's no way to get it back in. And I am sure that probably 100% of us in this room and 100% of us watching online we wish at times that the toothpaste had not come out of the tube quite so quickly, but no matter how hard we tried, you couldn't pull it back, right? So he says, slow down. Take some time to listen. There's two illustrations, and I'll give them to you quickly so that we can get out of here today. But we'll, we'll wrap up with this. There's two illustrations, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Reactive anger puts relationships in danger. But let me, give you, let me give you a second point here. Anger elevation keeps you from celebration. Another way to put it would be anger elevating will keep you from celebrating. And the first Old Testament is, is it's such a great example of it, Jonah. Now, even if you haven't been in church in a long time, or maybe you've never been to church, or it's the first time you've tuned in online or something, most people know Jonah and the whale, right? I mean, the guy just refused to do what God said, so God sent this big fish, swallowed him up. And in the midst of that, Jonah's like, okay, okay, I get it. Sorry. Give me another chance. And God does. In fact, it's just a direct sail to where he needs to go. The fish just kind of bleh, throws him up on the shore of where he needs to be. And he's in Nineveh. 
Jonah goes and preaches to the people of Nineveh because God had said, I want you to go to Nineveh because they are a wicked people. And if they don't repent, I'm going to wipe them out. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Part of the reason Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because he's like, you know what? Let me save you the time, God. Just wipe them out. You'll be doing all of us a favor. So he goes the exact opposite direction. But of course, God gets him to change his mind. And he winds up in Nineveh. And he preaches and he shares that God is telling them to repent. And you want to know what happened? They did. They responded to his preaching and God's prompting. And in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, even the king set aside his crown and put on sackcloth and ashes and got on his face before God to repent. When God saw what they did, how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And then chapter 4 tells us how Jonah reacted to this. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home, this is what you do, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. If you are really going to let these people off just because they come back to you, well, then I don't even want to be around to see it. Doesn't that prove a little bit about Jonah's motives to begin with? Jonah's just an angry Christian. I mean, he loves God, but he's not really sure that the people of Nineveh should get a chance, even though all the things he's spouting about God are exactly how God reacted to him. He turned his back. He went the other direction, and God gives him another chance. And now that's exactly what he's doing to the people of Nineveh, and Jonah gets angry. And man, you should have seen his Twitter, and you should have checked out his Instagram, because he was going off, man. Letting them have it. Mm. If God's not going to take care of this, I'll take care of it myself. And God's like, why are you so angry? And you want to know what Jonah did? He went and he sulked by himself. He's under a tree down by the water. That's why sometimes... You could tell when somebody's angry, right? And sometimes. They just give you a look and walk away. Same anger. Same water seeping in. And God says, what right do you have to be angry with me? You see wanted to make the people of Nineveh, he, he wanted to, to make their problems into a moral problem, a moral dilemma. And God was saying, it ain't moral, it's spiritual. 
And isn't that sometimes, don't we want America's moral decay? We need to change. If we could change the law and if we can, it won't do anything. This guy named Jesus, who a lot of you claim to follow, you know what he said? As in the days of Noah, it's pretty much how it's going to be. Because the world is spiraling down. It's not a moral problem. It's a spiritual problem. And they've got to see that the problem solver is Jesus. New Testament, same thing. And I'll quickly go through this and then, and then we're done. Luke chapter 15, we talked about this a few weeks ago, so I don't need to go into detail. But prodigal son, you remember we kind of changed the name prodigal father? Because the father was extravagant and wild in his love for his two sons. And the first one goes off and lives a wild life. But when he comes home, the father accepts him. What happens? Well, it's a party, man. I mean, everybody is just, and the other son is out working. He's the worker. He's a good guy. Good son, he's been there. Been, but he's out working. He sees all the stuff that's going on up in the front of the near the homestead, so to speak. He's like, hey, what, what, what's all the chaos? What's, what's going on? They said, your younger brothers come home and your dad is having a party and he's invited everyone. It's going to be a great night. And the older brother, Luke chapter 15 says, he became angry. And you know what he did? Same thing as Jonah. The father had to leave the party and just like he had to leave home and go out to where his youngest son was, he had to leave the party and go out to where his oldest son was. And he said, son, what are you doing? And he's like, dad, this younger boy of yours, you know what he's done, right? I mean, he took the money that took you and mom ages to earn, and then he went out and he blew it on riotous living. And oh, by the way, dad, I have it from pretty good authority, some prostitution was involved prostitutes, Dad. And you want me to come in and have a party with him? What's going on? He's making it a moral dilemma. He is far more morally superior than his younger brother. Is he right? I'm going to go ahead and let you answer. Is he right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he sure is. But you want to know something? Jesus, knowing that's going to be the reaction of the crowd, he explains to them what's happened. The father doesn't even go there. The father immediately goes to the root of the problem, and he says, son, your younger brother was dead. And now he's alive. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Can I say that to you again? Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to make dead people alive. And, and you and I, the ones that are alive and well in him, we should be celebrating. And the Bible says that any time a sinner comes home, there is a party going on in heaven. Who's missing out on the party? You, me, and the older brother. Now, listen, again, please, are there things to get angry about? Yeah. 
In fact, some people have rose up in anger to change the course of history, haven't they? I mean, you don't have to go a ton of years back within this country, and they thought it was okay for a 10-year-old to work the same amount of hours as a 40-year-old. Somebody was like, yeah, wait a second. That's not right. The role of, of women and even their ability to vote in this country, at some point, somebody was like, wait a second. And they rose up, they got a little angry, and they did something about it. At some point, they told a woman, you don't sit here, go to the back of the bus. And in quiet indignation, she said, nope. I get to sit right here. And it changed. It's still changing, but it changed the course of this country and civil rights. And is there a time? Yeah. But is there a time for us to pause and say, wait a second, what part of this is me? Yeah. And if we will do that, and can I tell you something? You'll avoid You'll avoid the mess of looking over your toilet and having it bust up in your face and have water all over the place. What a mess. What an expensive mess. And we can avoid that if we will just, how do we do it? Paul gives us the, the verse. Write this down and we're done. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't sin by letting anger be the boss of you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Wow, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Don't let the sun go down on your Don't go to bed angry with each other. Well, I don't want to give her the satisfaction. Well, I'm not going to let him win this. No, no, no. Don't worry about that. What you need to worry about is if you let the sun go down on your anger, you're giving a foothold to the devil. Don't let your bitterness continue. Don't let your envy continue. Don't let your anger, you, you, gotta, you gotta deal with it. And sometimes that means on a daily basis. But Paul says, don't go to bed ticked off. Because that's how you're gonna wake up. And it's just going to, at some point, boil over. Okay, I got to be done. Uh, man, this one's practical, isn't it? It's just, and maybe it's not for you. Maybe, maybe I'm talking to a bunch of people that you have no anger issues. So, man, <laughs> congratulations. And I look forward on reading your book. Um, <laughs> but it just seems to me that in this 21st century day and age, we have, a lot of, <laughs> we have a lot of angry Christians. We have a lot of angry Christians, and none of them are reading what James or Paul said and putting it into practice. And, and if, we could, if we could change that ourselves personally, out of the overflow of that, maybe that changes how we react and even how other people then react to us. All right, bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, man, your word is potent. Just so practical, so powerful. And uh, 
And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the, the difference that it can make in, in our lives. Um, and thank you, Lord, for these words from James who, who talks to us about the difference that anger makes, that bitterness makes, that envy makes in our relationships. And we've got to deal with that while there's just a small leak so it doesn't become a major problem. So I don't know where people are at on this, Lord, but you do, and they do, and I pray that even now they're, they're talking with you and they're dealing with some of the issues, Lord, that have confronted them. Some they didn't cause. Some were not their fault. Some, Lord, somebody else is to blame. Someone else is responsible. Lord, it, somebody else did get the promotion that they were supposed to get. Somebody else does seemingly have it all going on and have it perfect. And why? But Lord, instead of looking at it that way, may we just look to you as the source of our strength in helping us to overcome whatever it is that is keeping us from loving you, loving others. And Lord, for some, it's, it's even keeping us from celebrating life in the way that you want us to. Because we're just so angry. So give us strength to deal with that every day as we are able in the relationships we have. And Lord, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you today, I pray that they would make that decision. And, and before I close in prayer, maybe you're here today with us. There's never been a moment when you have invited Christ to come into your life and be your Savior. You can do that today. God's word says he'll come in, he'll forgive your sin, he'll give you eternal life with him in heaven. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to change you from the inside out. If you want to do that today, if you're watching with us online, you want to make that decision, I want to encourage you to simply pray this prayer in your heart after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you loved me. You came and died and rose again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin, my past, and save me for Jesus' sake. With our heads still bowed in prayer, if you prayed that prayer, would you just quietly, quickly, just between you, me, and God, just slip up your hand and put it down. Say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life. If you're with us online, there's a tab that came up on your screen that says, today I accepted Christ. Would you just hit that tab? Let us know of your decision. May not even know your name, but God does. And you can know that we'll be praying for you today, this week. Lord, thank you for those who have taken a step in their relationship with you. Maybe for some, Lord, the first step. Lord, I ask that you do something for them in the next few days that's tangible, that they can feel and sense, see, hear, to help them know, Lord, the significance, the eternal significance of the decision they just made today. May they walk out of here in the newness of life that only you can bring. And for that, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.